Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy from Guy's Shop, and as with me always are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Hello. 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 And we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it along. And we also have a Patreon, and we have four patrons right now. Did you guys know that? Nice. That's awesome. We need more. Always so, more. Do you guys have any relatives you can? <laughs> we need to go door to door knocking. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. And uh, we do thank the patrons we have, uh, by the way. Well, basically, we're just asking for a simple donation. There's just one level we have, and we're just trying to keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfect first layer. So... What do you got going on in the lab right now, Nathan? Oh, dang. Uh, you always call on JJ first, so I was about to take a sip. <laughs> I know. Photo. That's I'm switching it up. <laughs> um, well, I've got a lot going on right now. I've got a lot of printers to review. Um, the K1 and K1 Max have been taking up a lot of time because people really love that K1 content. Um, also, comparisons to Bamboo Lab printers. So I've got yeah, my like- P1. Yeah. The P1 that's P like, cardboard edition. That's like, the, yeah, I, know, so I love that thing. <laughs> P1S. I was just watching your, your. we'll talk about it in a little bit, but your extruder video, and it's got the AMS sitting on top of the P1P. Yeah. It's kind of like falling into it. Right. It, it slowly started falling in throughout the course of the video, and I just left it. Um, but Too yeah, much. I call that, the, it's either, I either call it the P1P cardboard edition or the P1S Poor Edition. And if you want to yeah. spell that out, then uh, it, it's something funny. Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of printers to do. There's still more that I need yeah. to get to. It's just been a little backed up. Um, let's see. And also I've been trying to do one video a day, so it's been pretty crazy on That's my That's tough. Hand. That's tough. Yeah. You're gonna get you're gonna get punchy after a while and you'll start yeah. to you'll start to lose it. Yeah, I, I think it's a good challenge, like the one video a day challenge kind of thing for content creators, because, I mean, I've been learning a lot about time management and my workflow and how to make things a little more efficient and deliver more efficiently. So it's good to do, even if I, like, by the time I switch back to doing normal content, I'll have learned something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm putting it I, out. It's always the best way to learn is to do it. So try yeah. and challenging yourself is always a good thing now how many how many videos do you put out a week jj uh shorts i've tried i i do a daily yeah. short um, you do them every day pretty much every day occasionally i'll skip one yeah. um if a project falls it's always you get to the afternoon and then something breaks on you right but as you're filming it you're like well that's <laughs> gonna be tomorrow's video i gotta reprint something uh, yeah. yeah so what, what what machines do you have in for testing nathan well, Can you give us a, a preview? Yeah, there's the Neptune 4, which I have had for like a month and I haven't got around to it yet. It's um, on the box. That's, um, I think I opened the lid, so it's still in the box, though. <laughs> that's the one I'm most excited about. And then I've got a couple more that are under embargo, so I can't share oh, okay. much we about can't them. discuss it. But by the time this video comes out, I think um, we might have some information about those, so. Okay. Yes. Cool. Nice. Cool. What about what about you, JJ? Yeah. So I'm currently trying to finish off a laser engraver review. It's one that I 
said I told longer I would do a long time ago and uh which which one off. it's a longer b1 it's some 30 watt diode yeah, laser I've, I've got one of those too yeah I, I, it's it's still in the box I've had it for like yeah two months it's super powerful but I I don't like laser engravers and I shouldn't have said yes to this I um so it's, I'm like, this is going to be la- my last laser engraver review. <laughs> I'm going to stick with 3D printers because that's what I know. I could pump out a, la- a 3D printer review in a week, but a laser engraver is just a bunch of me trying to figure out how to work with wood and <laughs> all these things that I'm lost. Yeah. So you could say <laughs> this, you couldn't put it off any longer. Exactly. This is um, the power button tagline. and the light comes out of here and this is what you get with it. Yeah. I mean, I it's found- posters and I didn't know... Uh, I tried to use wood glue on them for some reason. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm using the right kind of glue or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found that, that once. Oh yeah. Once you're in a niche, it's like kind of hard to make other content. Like we're FDM 3d printer people. Even if when I venture out into doing um, resin 3d printing, everyone's like, what? No, no, go back to the other stuff, <laughs> which is good. Cause I don't really like resin printing anyways. I actually put out a, a, a review of that Creality resin yeah, printer this last week. weekend. But uh, yeah, I, I'm finding out that my method of shooting videos that worked for woodworking does not work the same for printing. My mm. talking hands thing. That's what I always did in woodworking. It did, a very, did very well for me. It's not working for me. And and 3D printing. But I don't want to sit here and talk about YouTube videos and how we make them because that's no fun for our listeners unless that listener is a YouTube creator. So anyways, all three of us within the last couple of days got the new extruder from Creality. And I know, Nathan, you've actually done a video on it. You actually posted one today, right? Yeah. Right. Um, what can you tell our audience about the the new extruder? So the main thing is the new extruder is made out of a different material and they've modified the design slightly. So it's addressed one of my big concerns with the old extruder, which was that the screws could come loose relatively easily and then the wheels wouldn't be clamping hard enough for uh, normal extrusion. Um but now they've fixed that, and it's actually the same extruder that they're shipping on the current K1 Max. And I think uh, moving forward, they're going to have all their K1s being shipped with that extruder. And the easy way to tell the difference is the old one is made out of a shiny metal. Like it's mirror, shiny, reflective kind of uh, look. The new one is a uh, sanded or bead-blasted uh, steel part. So you can actually take a magnet to it, and it'll stick to the little... Um, tensioning arm. That's the easiest way to tell them apart. See, I, I, I know that you guys, when you first got your K1s, you had engineering samples, right? Yeah. That was I, part of the deal. Uh, I waited that. I waited and got the first run of production samples. And that's, I've got a couple hundred hours on that printer and it still has the original extruder in it. And there's never been an issue. Yeah, I think uh, Creality really rushed the K1 to market because of the like intense competition with Bamboo Lab. I think and they rushed it to, to YouTube creators. Yeah. 
not necessarily to the market. Like I said, I, I got uh-huh. the first production run and I haven't had any issues with the extruder mm-hmm. that came with it. And they did ship an extra extruder with the, with the printer that I still have. Yeah. My extruder um, just now, I don't know how many hours I've got. I should, I wonder if there's some way I can figure out how many hours I've got on the original K1 extruder, but it's just now this week started to wear out on me, which is exciting to be able to put the new one on there now because mm-hmm. it's so much stronger. But, but I, I'm wondering, I, I'm sorry. I was just wondering if, if the reason why all these YouTubers are having problems was because they got the engineering samples like you guys did. Right. Yeah, that might be it. When when Creality reached out to me about doing a K1 review, they were like, do you want this really early one that like it might not be all the way done? Or do you want to wait two weeks for the production version? And I'm like, I want the, the one now. Like, let's get yeah. that video out. Yeah, and it was a lot. It was a lot longer than two weeks. It was like six weeks. Oh, yeah. Yes, like, yeah. You guys had them, you know, forever and a Way day. You, you were already modding stuff, Nathan, before, you know, I even got a, a shipment uh, notice. So um, anyways, I, feel like I, I haven't I've, had any. I've heard comments from people saying that they've had issues with the extruder under extruding and stuff. So I don't know if it's, it's just some of the early ones. Yeah. Some have had issues and some have not, but I think more than anything, I'm more uh, impressed by a brand fixing their issues and sending Mm -hmm. out new extruders to people. Um, Yeah. Every company can put out a dud, but it's all what they do with it. Sort of the correct. Correct. Customer service isn't, you know, how well you take care of customers. It's how well you take care of mistakes. Yes. Yeah. Right. And one thing that I think is a little odd about this situation is Creality's now doing like a thanks for being a customer kind of thing for the K1. So they're sending out a free spool of filament and a camera so you can plug that camera in and get your webcam feed. And then they added two additional things that you can pay an extra dollar for. So altogether, you pay them three dollars and they send you this big package with a bunch of stuff. And the last two items are a new hot end and a new extruder. And I suspect those are the new additions of the hot end and extruder that it's almost to me, it seems like they should be doing that under warranty, like, you know, uh, making sure that you're sending out quality products. But now they're like kind of putting it behind a a mini paywall where you have to contact them and buy it for a dollar. I mean, I still think it's a great deal. You should definitely get that if you've already bought a K1. I'm not trying to sound contrary. But I believe, because I saw it, I believe for two ninety nine you supply them a serial number, and for two ninety nine they ship you a new extruder and hot end. And then yeah. there's another package that you get the filament and the camera with. Right, three dollars is for the extruder. One ninety nine and, and three ninety nine, or something, or something like it's a dollar or three dollars. Yeah. I, yeah. I, don't I don't know. It still feels I, I just like a wrong. nominal fee. Like, yeah, it seems I think weird it's just... to put any price when the price is so lo- that low. Yeah, it feels weird to put any price with it. Yeah, yeah I don't understand why they're putting price on it either. I think they might be concerned that people are just going to try and spam uh, serial numbers, and uh, if it doesn't <laughs> cost anything. So if they put just like a little price on there, then it's not going to be worth you're gonna someone's. See, you're going to see a million of them on eBay for. Ten dollars, right. exactly. Because those extruders, I think they are gonna retail them for like forty to sixty dollars. So mm-hmm. 
I, I don't think that they're even covering the cost to manufacture them with that small no. cost. Yeah. yeah. I remember I went to this uh, tool. There's a tool manufacturer that's headquartered here in Indianapolis and they had a, uh, a show at their, at their place. And they gave everybody that went there like a bag with, you know, stuff in it, like swag and stuff. But one of the things they gave everybody was batteries for their power drills. And they gave you, they gave everybody two of them. And it's like, nobody buys these drills because they're like $600. So nobody had even drills to put these batteries in. So everybody had all these batteries. And you, I started seeing them on eBay. You know, people sell them for like $10, $15, these batteries that were like 70, 80 bucks. I remember right. I finally did get one of those drills that they sent me one of the drills, but didn't include a battery with it. And I was on my podcast for the woodworking and I said, yeah, Festival sent me this drill, but they didn't send me any damn batteries. <laughs> Two days later, after that thing aired, a guy showed up on my door, knocked on my door. He had a bag with like a half a dozen batteries. <laughs> I've still got those batteries in boxes. Nice. I still have the drill. I've, I've taken two of the batteries out of boxes. It's kind of funny. Anyways, but yeah, people will take advantage of that stuff mm-hmm. if you let them. If the you extreme let them. couponers of the world. Yes, yes. So what do you guys think of the K1 Max JJ? It's great. I love it. I've been pretty solid on it. Um, the door is glass, so it can break. <laughs> Um, and since it's so big and the problem is it's in my studio. So I was moving it around between tables and it was right here behind me and the door was open cause I'd just taken a thumbnail picture of it and I stood up too fast right into it and it just shatters. Um, so I wish the door hinge was a full like 180 degree opening instead of just, it opens at 90 degrees. And if you try to push it past 90 degrees, it'll shatter on you. Yeah. Um, so that's disappointing. Well, at least, than, at least it's tempered glass, so it didn't, like, create big shards that you ran your shoulder into. It created tiny shards that went everywhere. <laughs> well, that's one of the so problems with tempered glass. More of an issue on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's been printing solid for me. And I normally print PLA anyways, so I thought about taking the door off the K1 anyways, just because I don't need it to be on there. So is it is it as loud as the K one? It seems quieter. Yeah, it know. seems a lot quieter to me. Yeah, I did some decibel tests on my first like review of it, and uh, it's like I forget the numbers, but it's a lot quieter than the K one because uh, they've got felt around the top, and it's a glass panel instead of a plastic one that leaks a lot of noise. Mm. And also, they reprogrammed the fan. At the end of a print, the K1 moves over to the right-hand side yeah. and turns all the fans to 100% to cool off the hot end. Um, on the K1 Max, it only turns it up to 50%, which, mm-hmm. you know, it takes maybe 30 or 40 seconds longer to cool off. But in exchange, you're dropping like 5 to 10 decibels, which is totally worth it for most people. Yeah. yeah. I found on the, the K1 and the K1 Max, it's 50% is like right at the the fans go from like really quiet to really loud right around 50%. Like there's a definite jump. And so if you set the side and back fan to 50%, it's almost, it's a very quiet printer. Yeah. My, my, my K one is silent. Cause it's in the other room. 
Because that's or, 75 feet away in my insulated <laughs> garage. Um, the other thing is, is the K1 has a super powerful fan on it. I think it's like 12 or 13 watts compared to the yeah. fan on the Bamboo Lab uh, machines. Those are 8 watts. So like 100% on both of those machines is different. The K1 is going to be more powerful and louder. So it would make sense to just turn it down a little bit and slow the print down. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to be printing 60 degree overhangs at 300 millimeters a second. Just slow it down a little bit, everybody. Can you can you control the fan speed while that thing is going through the... Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can, you can change the fan speed while it's going, the K1. Yes, yeah. yeah. But can it, you do it from it, the web it, display or is it just from the front panel? I think you can do both, but um, yep. it'll have it'll have G code that sets the fan speeds in the mm-hmm. middle of a print. Like when it goes to do a bridging move, it'll turn the fan to hundred percent. So it'll override any manual adjustments that you make uh, usually. All right. What do you think of the K1 Max, Nathan? Well, I like it. It's like a big uh, display K1. case, mini fridge thing that prints really fast. It's bigger than anything else on the market in that speed range. I guess the only thing that's bigger than it is the uh, the Chidi Tech X3 Max or uh, Chidi Tech X3. I, I forget. Three D printer companies need to come up with better names. <laughs> Everything is Max or Pro. Is, don't you yeah. have one of those? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's JJ. something. It has those words involved in it. I don't know the <laughs> combination of it. But yeah, X I've got Max one. Three. Yeah. What? What's how big is the bed? Uh, I, I think it's three thirty by something. Mm, yeah. It just had to be that much bigger. Just a little right. bit bigger. Just a little bit bigger. I uh, think you know, personally, uh, my yeah. my uh, Chidi Tech machines that I've reviewed, they tend to be a little bit plasticky because they tend to put injection molded shells around the outside as a way to like decorate their printers. But to me, it just feels kind of cheap when you touch it. It's like kind of creaky. Versus the uh, the Bamboo Lab and Creality machines are much more sol- like solidly built. Yes, yeah. The Chidi printer is it's fully plastic on the outside. Everything you touch is plastic. Um, the touchscreen is nice, and like their menu, I like that they put some nice features to it. Uh, but the Creality machine is aluminum and a lot of glass on the outside. Feels like a high end premium machine. Um, and very easy to use touchscreen. Um, a lot of nice features there. Yeah. Cool. And their slicer is better. The Chidi slicer is like based on a really old Prusa slicer, which I don't really like Prusa slicer layout. <laughs> the Shots whole like fired. how it's different tabs to go between settings. It's just like hard to find things for me just because I don't know it very well. Yeah. So right. it's a personal preference. But... And, and someone who isn't familiar with Cura would be like, you know, Oh, exactly. Having to know what search terms to look up to get all your settings is annoying, too. Yeah. Yeah. Having spiralized outer contour instead of vase mode. Spiralized <laughs> outer contour. It's like... All right. Not Let's, just for vases yeah. anymore. <laughs> you guys ready to take some questions? Yes. yes. Yeah. All right. So this one comes from Josh. And Josh has got a subject here. What the bamboo... So he says he's a hobbyist and new to 3D printing. He has the budget right now for the P1P with AMS and would like to save a bit for the X1C. 
with AMS. I'm really debating between the two as I print only PLA and PETG and don't see myself needing a, an enclosure for some of the other filament types. I'm interested in multi-material printing, speed, and not having to worry about leveling. I'd love to save my money by getting the P1P with AMS, but I don't know if it's worth it to have the LiDAR and some of the other bells and whistles that the X1 Carbon offers. Would love your input. All right, I've got a JJ? quick answer for oh, this okay, one. Go ahead. Yeah, Nathan. Um, so the P1S is a, the P1S plus AMS combo is a hundred dollars off. So if you buy the P1P and AMS, it costs nine fifty. If you buy the P1S plus AMS combo, it also costs nine fifty. So you're basically getting the enclosure for free. And if you want, you can just buy the P1S and remove all the side panels and put them on eBay or something. <laughs> but uh, I think having the enclosure is a really nice touch and it comes with the internal chamber fan. So you're just getting a lot more printer for the same money. So you should almost always just be considering the P1S and AMS. But the question well, of whether you want to step up to the X1C is a, a valid one. So what, what do you think, JJ? Uh, I don't know much. I, I, I actually have this question of what's the difference between the X1C Besides LiDAR, do Screen. either of you guys know if there's any? Yeah, I, there? I know all the stats. I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm like Rain Man over Nathan here. First. Okay. okay, okay. So, uh, yeah. So um, the P1S is basically a P1P with like you know a couple added features. If you go up to the X1C, the additional features that you get are um, you get the LiDAR. You have a, a higher resolution chamber camera. You have the hardened steel nozzle and extruder teeth. Um, you have a different bed surface. I wouldn't say it's better, it's just different. Um, the panels are aluminum instead of plastic. According to someone else, I'm not 100% sure on that. They might be plastic panels on both, but from what I've heard, the, the X1C has aluminum panels. Uh, let's see what else. There's, the there's got to be something else. Oh, yeah, right. The touch screen. That's a big difference, too. The touch screen versus the little, like, um, remote control type screen. But the thing about all of those upgrades is added together the bill of material, the bomb cost, or, like, the, the cost of the individual components is probably under $100. So Bamboo Lab is seriously ups, upcharging when you go with the, uh, the X1C over the P1P or the P1S, because like, if you look at the MSRPs, the, uh, the P1S AMS combo is 950. And then you have to also pay a little bit for shipping. Um, if you get the uh, X1C uh, AMS combo, it's 1450. So that's an additional $500 for essentially $100 worth of hardware. So they're really upcharging you. It just reminds me of the Apple, uh, like, Apple tax system. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, oh, you want the base model? Yeah, that's that's actually pretty affordable, you know, 1200 bucks. And then it's like, oh, but you you want a hard drive with more than enough room to store, like, 20 pictures. Okay, yeah. you. so we'll give you the two terabyte hard drive, and that'll be an extra $1,000, please. Even though the hard drive itself only costs, like, 50 bucks or 100 bucks. I think another difference, and I may be mistaken here, but I know it's in the software 
and it's unavailable on the P1P, which is the ability to read what's on your SD card from the slicer. Mm, yeah. Which I, you yeah. can't, you can't, Nathan, yours doesn't work very because you can't <laughs> cook up anything to land. But I know if you have it bound, the, the, the printer and the software bound together with the, the handy, what were they called? Bamboo Handy app or something. I can't remember. Bamboo Handy. Yeah. You cannot, in the software that's on your, sits on your PC or on your Mac, you can't see what's on the SD card and print off your SD card. And yeah. if you do it on your phone, you've got to go into your history to print it again. But I think, I might be mistaken, but I think on the X1 Carbon, you can see your what's on the SD card from your software and print off that. Uh, yeah, I don't have an X1C. And this and is one of the I. reasons. Neither this do is- I. I, I. I'm just assuming because there's, a, there's a, a slot there that says media. And you click mm-hmm. on it and it says, this model doesn't support media browsing or some crap oh. like that. Yeah. Okay. I think it's because the processor in the X1 Carbon is another difference there. Uh, it is a slightly better processor. So there's a little bit more features there yeah. on that right. side. Yeah. So I, think that, X- I think that's a lame excuse from the manufacturer. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. oh, oh it's, not, it's not powerful enough. <laughs> it definitely is a thing, though. On the P1P, the uh, the processor on there is like what you'd find in a graphing calculator. It seems like like <laughs> it seems very uh, incapable of doing anything quickly. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why your webcam feed is only like one FPS on the P1P versus on the X1C. You get like a good fifteen to fifteen or so FPS. Yeah, that's that's watchable. What what exactly does the lidar do? Well, it projects a beam like a laser line onto the printed, you know, lines on the, on the plate. And then it has a downward facing camera that looks at those lasers and the projection of the lasers onto that, uh, those patterns that it printed will look different on the camera based on like the height and the profile of what it's laid down. Um, in, in layman's terms, it just kind of looks at what it's printing. So it, it can do automatic pressure advance and a more accurate bed level. But I don't see those as very, very useful things. I don't know. Running right. pressure advance on your clipper machine where you run a test pattern and it's then you say, easy. okay, number five is the best. So I yeah. type that value in and the printer just works well. And then probing the bed, I don't know, nine or 16 times. And you get a really good mesh bed level out of it. Yeah. I, I just need... wonder if there's people that, that have the LIDAR and say, oh, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We might say the same thing if we had the LIDAR. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, doesn't the K1 Max have something like the LIDAR or is it so LIDAR? It is LIDAR on the K1 Max. Currently, the software isn't great. I okay. found it works better with it off. And so I've just turned it off because it's it's a whole extra pattern. It's got to run. And sometimes it looks a little better with it on. Sometimes it looks a little worse with it on versus when it's off, it's always consistent. So they're still working out software to it. So I just turned it off and I think it prints really well with it out. All right. 
Yeah, one know. thing we we didn't mention about the K1 and K1 Max that we talked about towards the beginning was uh, of the episode is that Creality is going to be open sourcing the source code, which means that the uh, there's going to be better options for the firmware and maybe someone will figure out how to better use that LiDAR module. Mm-hmm. The other thing about the LiDAR module is it adds weight, you know, on the Creality K1 Max. I, I think I took it off and weighed it and it was about 24 grams. So That's that added weight on, Right. So adding that to the tool head is going to make your, uh, your ringing slightly worse. I mean, sure, you can adjust for that with um, input shaping, but it's better to just not have that weight in the, in the first place. All right. So like it sounds... Go ahead. Oh, uh, just on the topic of LiDAR, I was messaging in comments with someone this week um, and just talking about how many things... It seems like they could do a lot with LiDAR. Like if they tuned in for a filament, tuning in retractions or doing some sort of temperature test flow calibration um it seems like one of those cool technologies that could be used for cool things but currently i i don't think it's being used to its full extent yeah right speak uh, like you could use it to inspect your parts layer by layer and like automatically detect any areas where the infill isn't connecting or maybe you have like uh your perimeter layers aren't touching completely due to a slight amount of under extrusion like it could really be used to level up the diagnostics and accuracy of 3D prints, but that requires a ton of programming. And I don't think any of these companies are really putting in the effort. Maybe Bamboo Lab is. I think they want to do more with their LiDAR modules, but it's just one of those things where the software needs to catch up. All right. That's fair enough. Well, I hope that helps, Josh. And it sounds like the P1S with an AMS is the way to go. Correct, best Nathan? For your, yeah, best bang oh, yeah. for your buck. Well, if, agreement. You, if you absolutely have to have an AMS. <laughs> yeah. I was telling telling these guys before we started the podcast that I just just ordered an AMS. I'll have it here this week. Mainly, I'm not, I really not, there's a couple times I'd like to do, do dual color. I'm just more interested in it so I don't have to run out to the garage and change filament. I, I think you'll. stuff in there. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. Everyone I've talked to that uses them really likes them. I haven't got mine working, and uh, I think Bamboo's making an absolute killing on selling those because it's like four motors and a couple sensors that they're selling for 350 bucks. That's more yeah. than a lot of 3D printers are, are going for. Well, we'll see We'll see what happens when the, the Anchor one comes out, if that ever comes out right now. It's just a picture in the catalog. There was some guy that did a video on their new printer coming out i couldn't tell who it was because he had like a printer for a head oh yeah the entire video it was really weird anyways so um all right so we've got another question here this is from another josh actually it's the same josh oh he wrote in two questions he got him on there we'll kick that one to the back so I'll go with this next question from Brendan. <laughs> I said, those are the next questions from Josh. And I look at the email, I go, it's the same guy. That's fine. We appreciate the questions, Josh. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, this other question is from Brendan. It's a design question. And he says, one thing I've always struggled with when designing new parts and fixtures is getting tolerances right, whether it be for a loose sliding fit 
push fit, push fit, or even creating a hole that a screw will go into and cut its own threads. Is there a general formula for sizing off of the type of fit? JJ? Uh, I usually just Google what I'm trying to design and do trial and error with it because that's more my method of design is in Blender and sizing up and down to make it fit whatever I'm looking for. So, but I'm not the best designer out there. And But I mean, do you go by yeah. tenths of an inch, hundred or oh, yeah, hundreds, thousands? Tenths of millimeters. Tenths of millimeters. Or, so it's like uh, point. whatever your layer, point, point two or point so. Two. Okay. Depending how it feels. Like it f- feels pretty close. Maybe I'll start doing smaller steps. It's a lot uh, of guess and check work. It's not, yeah. I wouldn't say the yeah. best method. So uh, maybe not the best person to answer this question. But I think, <laughs> I think it's going to be different. Yeah. Everybody's machine. Everybody's oh yeah. Different and every machine, machine will be different. Yeah. I've printed yeah, out models can... that sh- are way too loose on some machines because of just different tolerances. Yeah. 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 I've noticed that generally when I print something on a bamboo lab machine, the tolerances are looser because um, I think it's probably extruding plastic more accurately and my other printers are over extruding a little bit. So, I mean, it really, it, it's one of those things that does depend on machine to machine variants. Why do you think they're over extruding? You had mentioned once that you were pretty sure that most machines were under extruding. Well, um, it really depends. Uh, so like when a printer prints a square, and it's going around in a circle, it'll overshoot on those corners a little bit. And Mm -hmm. when you're looking at an application where you're trying to fit something inside of another thing, those overshooted uh, little bumps are going to be your largest feature. So it's going to kind of over-extrude in a way. Um, I guess it's not really over-extruding. It's just being inaccurate in a way that makes the part wider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just the way that the plastic is melting when it goes around like a corner or something. Yeah. And um, I guess also I tend to, like on machines that I have tuned myself, I'll tune them to over extrude just because I like that. You get better mechanical properties at the cost of maybe a little bit more uh, globbing and stringing and stuff. But I prefer the stringing parts. I always felt it's if you have two parts that won't really fit together. I find it's always easier to take away material than add material. So same, same thing with woodworking. If you've got something that, that fits into something else, it's better to make it too big than too small. Yeah. As always. In in, uh, GD and T like geometric dimensioning and tolerancing, which is like a mechanical engineering or uh, manufacturing engineering concept. They call it the maximum material condition where you'll always apply more material. So for on a hole, for a hole, you'll want to make it smaller because it's you can remove material to make the hole bigger. And for an external feature, you're going to want to make it larger because you can always remove to, material to make it smaller. Yeah. Um, the other question that he had about uh, creating a screw, uh, creating a hole that a screw will go into and cut its own threads. My general rule for that is you take this, the major diameter of the screw, which is what you would measure if you put calipers across the, the threads. Um, so like an M3 screw is three millimeters in diameter. 
um, subtract 10% from that. And that's a pretty good starting point for self-cutting threads. So for an M3, I'll do a uh, 2.7 millimeter diameter hole in CAD. Um, for an M5, I'll do a 4.5 millimeter hole in CAD. And that generally works pretty well. All right. So I guess the, the, the general rule that we're coming up here, Brandon, is, is make it bigger because it's easier to tone down a little bit. I, I've i done stuff with plastic, and I've used chisels and sandpaper on it mm-hmm. to get stuff I've, to fit. I've got a set of files that I use yeah. a lot to file away little corners things. or sharpen things up a little bit here and there. One thing I, yeah. one thing I found is a good sharp set of chisels. I mean, yeah. it just slices through the stuff and it makes it really easy to remove plastic. I think Brendan yeah. meant to ask a simple question, but it's one of those things that like, especially in my area of uh, mechanical engineering, it's like a whole study. Like there's a whole book of like different fit classes depending on the application. So mm-hmm. like in some cases you might want to make it so that it's always going to slide through. Like, um, like if you print an articulating mechanism, you want to err on the side of everything still being able to move around. Um, but if you want something that's going to be like strong and a tight mechanical fit, then you're going to probably want to undersize a hole and then drill it out to the proper size. So, I mean, it's application dependent and really depends on what your goals are. Um, but the best thing to do is to just experiment and learn from your mistakes. Yeah. All my experience has to do with woodworking and how things fit together with glue. <laughs> glue. Uh, do, do you guys want to talk about glue again? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Well, I, I hope that, that helps you with your question, Brendan. So we've got a question here from Josh. You guys remember Josh, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Josh from a few minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> We're just having fun with you, Josh. Again. Really appreciate the questions. So he's got two questions here, and I'm going to go to skip to the second one. He's talking about filament temperature. He said, when I first started printing, I finally learned that the correct settings for original spool of PLA that I got. I got another spool of PLA from a different company and just left the temp settings the same, thinking I'd get the same result. (laughs) And I can't get anything to stick. How do you guys go about finding the optimal temperature settings for a new spool? JJ? I I would say I normally keep them about the same. Um, But yes, some spools from some manufacturers aren't the same. So usually I'm a 205 is where I go for PLA. Um, but sometimes if you're trying to get really good overhangs, I'll bump that down to 200. And then some spools, if it doesn't seem to be sticking really well, bump it up to 210. Um, so extra heat helps it stick together better? Sometimes if it's just not melting right. Um, or if it's really cold in the winter, sometimes I'll bump it up to 210. Um, it's all about what works. Um, and trying to go as cool as possible, usually, I found makes the best overhangs. So I would err on the side of cooler, and then if it doesn't print correctly, then start bumping it up a little bit. That's my mm-hmm. general does, trouble Does 
Is there a difference between colors at all? I think because it is different additives and mixtures in there. So you might be able to find slight differences between colors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like 20 degrees. No, it'll be, I would say, within five degrees, plus or minus. Yeah, I know, like on the usually. like the, the bamboo slicers and the, the Creality slicer for the K1 and the K1 Max, those things are spitting out PLA at like 230, I think. Yeah. Which then, is yeah. really hot. But that's because of the extra speed involved. Mm-hmm. And so those printers I usually just leave with the default, and it seems to be working so far for me. And I haven't done much tuning on temperatures for those printers, but for most yeah. other Marlin or Clipper-based normal printers. You're doing temperature testing. I'll do a little bit of temperature tuning. The other thing about those those printers that you mentioned is they have really powerful part cooling fans. So um, like they can compensate for the higher temperatures would tend to droop a little bit more. But since the fan is so powerful, it just like overpowers it. I had uh, I was just doing like a big test print on my K uh, on the K1 Max and I accidentally left it at PETG temperatures, which is like 255 Celsius and I was printing PLA. I'm like, oh, these parts look all right. I mean, they're a little stringy, but I mean, uh, I'll, I'll try and tweak it a little bit. And I go into the settings and I'm like, whoa, it's like 35 degrees too hot. But um, since the part cooling solution in that uh, in that printer is so powerful, it's able to even do 45 or 60 degree overhangs way over temperature. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's like there's so much optimization that can go on in in the uh, slicer settings but generally you know i i tend to like to just go with whatever bamboo studio has set up because Mm -hmm. uh like if i'm if i'm ever wondering like oh what how fast should i go what temperature should i use i just go into bamboo studio and look at their settings because they've spent a lot of time optimizing those profiles and they have that big data harvesting scheme where they're getting everybody <laughs> and being like, oh, I guess like people who print at 215 have a 10% higher success rate. So let's adjust our stock profiles. I mean, that's the kind of analytics you can do when you have that kind of cloud infrastructure. Well, I, mm-hmm. I don't think they, they know what filament you're using, do they? On the um, AMS, they can. you do. Or on the they, AMS, you select it. I select it. I say, well, I guess same. what I'm saying is that if you're using... Oh yeah, something other than their filament. It's just mm-hmm. generic PLA or well, generic have, ABS. Yeah, they have profiles for um, polymaker. Like, yeah, polymaker. Uh, all right. Yeah, I don't. I don't look too much in. I, I just look at their their default profiles for the, yeah. whatever whatever type of material, and it, it works out really well. Yeah, I think actually it would be an advantage if they did know what. I mean, I would see it as an advantage if they did know what filament I was using and what everybody else was using. So it could help with those profiles. So you just don't have to put in generic PLA or generic ABS or generic patchy. You could put in, you know, Hatchbox or Overture or this, Airy One, Voxelite. You can put all this stuff in there and it wouldn't matter because there'd be a, a profile for it. I, I think there's a lot more to do in terms of slicer optimization and you're, we're going to have to have better material models for these different like plastics and someone has to come up with all that data. And I don't think, 
I don't know how, how we're going to get there or, or what, but like, you know, sometimes you'll print a part at 300 millimeters a second and it'll look great. And then you print another part uh, even slower with different features and a different filament and it doesn't look so great. So I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just <laughs> yeah, so much room for optimization, so much to learn about all this stuff. Well, I know there's there's some slicers like Orca Slicer, which is based on Bamboo Slicer, and Super Slicer, which is a fork of Prusa Slicer. They have built-in tests for they have you know temperature towers and and stringing towers and stuff like that, where it'll do all that for you. And you can print those out and get a better idea. So if you want to tune in, you know, this one particular type of filament to your printer, you can. Mm-hmm. And I've done that before in Cura. Uh, they've got, I think there's a plugin you can use. Okay. Um, but I feel like I just don't use that as much anymore because after you've done a few spools of PLA, you're, you know kind of what your printer needs. And it's usually printer to printer. And the filament yeah. to filament differences are really those plus or minus five degrees. They're very there. minor. Yeah. Yeah. So I've gone through, like when I get a new printer, I'll, which is not, not as many <laughs> as you guys get. But when I do get a new printer, I'll, I'll spend, you know, uh, printing in the background anyways, you know, an afternoon where I'll go through those tests and print out every little one and, change the slicer settings to match those the the tuning of it mm-hmm. so i know like my one printer does better at 205 and the other printer does better at 210 just from printing stuff like that out so it helps i think it helps yeah. anyways what what do you do nathan you just kind of guess at it and see where it comes out <laughs> i just print stuff roll the dice you don't you don't analyze it you don't overanalyze it like like I do or no I've never done input shaping or uh, pressure advance or I mean I, I'll do input shaping if it's if I just have to push a button and it does it automatically mm-hmm. um, but in terms of like manual tuning I used to be really into like doing the uh, um, the steps per millimeter tune calibration mm-hmm. and making yeah. sure that it's extruding exactly a hundred millimeters. Yeah. When it, when it says that, but I've been finding more and more that it doesn't really matter. Like all the, that much, the big differences mm-hmm. in how your prints turn out is going to be how well the designer designed the part and uh, whether you're using a good printer and whether you have a good or bad batch of filament. Yeah, that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. I guess, I guess everybody views things a little bit differently and that's, one of the, the great things about, you know, solving problems is get different perspectives from different, from different people, because everybody, we all tend to just zero in on one thing and ignore some of the other more obvious things that somebody else might, might pick up. So I think that's a, that's really good. So Nathan, our own little Nathan had a, Thing he wanted to talk about not oh, Nathan JJ yeah <laughs> JJ yeah, I'm sorry like, oh Nathan wrote something <laughs> oh I I actually replied to uh to JJ's comment so we're we're both in on this yes yeah I left you off the thread guy okay thanks <laughs> it was an accident 
I feel like I had a, so so my question or something to discuss um, is a shift in slicers towards defaulting to using an auto brim setting. Um, And I feel like I used to be very pro brim on my first printer. I printed almost everything with a brim because it stuck really well. And I was more anti glue stick initially because I thought, why do I need this disposable glue stick? It's going to be a mess one extra thing to keep around and then i finally bought one glue stick and i found it works so well and you don't have to use a brim and brims are a pain to take off and that one glue stick lasted me two years and i just finished it up this week and that was three dollars <laughs> um and so online i see people who are very anti-glue stick or very pro glue stick <laughs> sort of forming camps around this and i've kind of shifted from one to the other Really? There's people that they have actually arguments about glue stick. Or I've seen comments from people on my videos that are like, oh, you got to clean your bed. That's why things don't print well. And it's like, well, things don't stick if I don't use a glue stick. And I'm not going to use a brim on this printer because I don't want to use a brim anymore because glue sticks are great. I think uh, the biggest problem with glue stick in my experience is that if you print the same part out too many times, it depletes the glue stick layer. Um, so you, you have to end up refreshing it. Um, but I was just doing a, I call it a perfect first layer test. And I just print out like a single layer sheet over the entire build area. And um, I just did one with glue stick. And the whole, the whole thing, like I had to peel up the corner with my fingernail then get a knife under it to, to peel it off. Like glue stick works really, really well. So I, the only time I've used glue stick was when I had that uh, Cetus 2 was the first time I'd ever used it, which is junk. Don't anybody buy that thing. Um, Not looking for sponsors here, are we? <laughs> no, I, I sent it back. Okay. I, 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 they wanted me to do a video. They kept bugging me, and I said, I'm not going to do a video on this. I'm not going to put a video on my YouTube channel that's nothing but negative. So I don't want it. I said, do you want it back? They said, yes. I said, okay. But they sent me a UPS call yeah. tag. I sent it back to them. Anyways, so that and then the K1 tells you to use glue stick. I've never used glue stick on that bed and haven't had mm-hmm. any problems with anything not sticking or not releasing from that. Because, you know, you just bend it and it pops right off. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was running uh, I was running a K1 at Open Sauce. It was like a conference type of thing where I was just having the printer run the whole time. And I was having issues with the non-glue sticked bed on some articulating models where it had like okay. a really small contact area. Mm-hmm. And okay. in those cases, like where you actually you have a bunch of little parts that have to stick, in those cases, I think it's worth using glue stick. But for larger pieces, it was sticking to the surface no problem. So, you know, depending on what you print, you may or may not need it. Yeah. I know on some of those are things that have little tiny pieces or articulating prints, you know, brim is not the way to go. Yeah. Because that 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 just gets everywhere, especially on PLA. And can be difficult to remove. I was I was telling uh JJ on ABS I I use brims quite a bit. And to help it stick so the corners don't peel up. And uh, that just on, on ABS, the brims just pop off. I mean, just yeah. boom, they're and they're they're done. It's not like uh, they are with PLA. 
the deburring tool is great for any type of brim removal. If you've got like a long edge, you can just like pull the deburring tool across the whole edge. Mm -hmm. You should, everyone should get one of those because it's useful to have when you need it. Yeah. Uh, it's just like this little articulating blade that you can pull along an edge and clean it up. Um, but my bed adhesion experience goes way back before brims, <laughs> before uh, glue stick. Back in the day, we used um, rafts and hairspray and sometimes disposable print sheets and super glue. So, so what's, a, what's a raft? A raft is basically like a a three-layer structure where it just like lays down a big pad and then it starts printing on top of that. And the idea how there you, is... How do you yeah, get it off? Well, the idea there is it's like you print a little island of the material uh -huh. that's just like a big surface area and then you print something else on top of that, but it's uh -huh. kind of like that support layer where it's like slightly gapped so that it doesn't stick super oh, well okay. to the layer below it. Okay. Um, yeah. Some people still use rafts. It's an option in most slicers, but it's pretty wasteful because you end up throwing away like a, a good amount of plastic with each print. I know Rare. I've seen rafts on like the slicer software for resin printers. Yeah. yeah resin needs it. But for some, uh, those um, printed place swords that like extend Sometimes that can be useful where you're printing like really tiny things right next to other tiny things that they can't shift at all. Um, in the past, I've used a raft for that and it's worked. Okay. Yeah. And uh, back in the day when you're dealing with like industrial 3D printers, like uh, the Stratasys machines, they used like these big ABS plastic platters that you would slot in and it was a disposable. They were like, I don't know how much they cost, but that machine was really expensive to run. So I imagine they were like five to $20 a piece. Every time you ran a print, you just had to throw it away. Wow. Uh, we, we would like sand them and refurbish them, but that their official advice was to just throw away the entire build surface every time. Nice. Nice. Have uh, you guys ever used any of those other glue type products that they have out there? Like, uh, there's one that's really like big, uh, magic nano. glue or something like that. Magic glue, mm -hmm. I've never yeah, used liquid nanoparticle, whatever. Liquid uh, nanoparticle. I'm sure, I'm sure they work fine. It's probably just they probably just take glue sticks and put them in a blender and then uh, reconstitute <laughs> them into a little bottle. Well, there you go, Nathan. I know what my new product is going to be. I'm just gonna get some glue stick and put them in a Cuisinart, and yeah rename it something else yeah, that's, I'm all, sure that's all they are i'm sure there's a lot of material science that goes into it especially if you're using it for like advanced applications and stuff but yeah most people aren't going to do the research to actually evaluate if it's better or worse than glue stick i'm sure it's better you know i'm not i'm not trying to disparage any sure. um, bed adhesive manufacturers <laughs> i've never had the need to go out and buy something like that so Okay. Take that for right. what it's worth. Guys, no, I just I I've just never had a need for glue stick. So. I feel like it's some build plates just like my my P1P that build plate has always not been very good. Um really? it's just a textured PEI that just like day 1 was always not great. And so I slap a thin layer of glue stick on there and it'll print great. 
but when I tr- I've tried all the methods of washing it and not touching it and soap and all these things and just like it never prints as well as I never sticks as well as I want it to. And so a little bit the, of glue stick works great. The only, I, I should restate something. The only printer I've ever had a problem with the, with the bed adhesion is that artillery sidewinder. Mm, too much yeah. sticky. It was too sticky. Yeah. It was mm. too sticky. I remember the first time I ran a, a thing on, I printed something out. I think it was like a benchy and I pulled it off. I pulled chunks off the, chunks of glass off the bed right. i couldn't That's get crazy. it off so i ended up putting glue on that uh to so i just so i could get the the, the stuff off of it not as well, not glue for not as, as adhesion but a release agent while we're talking about glue stick my best tip for using glue stick is to uh get like a wet rag like put a bunch of water on it and then wipe just com- wipe off all the glue stick and get it all kind of melted or, or liquefied. And then that liquid that you've generated by wiping up the glue stick is like, it is it is itself glue. And you just kind of wipe that across the surface and you can get a really thin, consistent layer. Because I find glue stick is actually a little bit too thick and pasty to get like a good consistent layer. It'll kind of form little lumps and stuff. Yeah. So you just completely melt it or, or like dissolve some in water and then wipe it on there. And it's, you can get much thinner layers that are much flatter. Well, thanks guys. And I think that's going to do it for the show. And remember, we really do need questions and participations from you, the listeners. So make sure to go to perfectfirstflare.com and go to the submit page and ask us, or you can always email us at perfectfirstlayer at gmail.com. Nice. Nathan, why don't you tell everybody where you can be found? I'm on YouTube. Just look up Nathan Builds Robots and I'll be there. Um, And if we don't get enough questions next week, then I'm going to have to pilfer my YouTube comments and find some funny ones to to play. So everybody ask your questions so we don't have to resort to that. Oh, uh, we haven't had any problems so far. We've We've been getting questions, so that's good. But yes, send questions. JJ, how about you? Where can people find yep. you? You can find me at YouTube at JJ Shankles. All right. And I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube or just about any other social media at Guy's Woodshop. All right. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Later. <laughs>